This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are a church of the best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making Veritas possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to both segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. Tonight's special guest is someone I've been trying to get on the show for quite some time. He's a member of academia, but he's also an open-minded scholar who's willing to revise his views in the light of new evidence. Tonight's special guest is Professor Robert Schock. We'll discuss Easter Island, the Great Sphinx, Gobekli Tepe, ancient cataclysms, which may repeat in certain intervals, like clockwork and forgotten civilizations. This will be a fascinating interview. As a matter of disclosure, we began with Skype, but the sound became too choppy, so we switched to regular landline. Not even a couple of minutes after, Dr. Shock's neighborhood lost power. Aren't you getting tired of all these outages every time we conduct some of our interviews? You'll hear his wife say, that was a solar flare, which is what I was planning to discuss with him. I was going to remove that portion when the lights went out, but decided to leave it for entertainment purposes. Dr. Robert Schock is coming up next. And don't forget to buy MMS, especially at this time of the year. Don't get caught off guard. And many of you have written asking if I'm planning to have the fourth season 
of our USB drive available during the holidays. The problem in the past is that our seasons end at the end of the year. However, I have something new so that you can still give it during the holidays or purchase it for yourself. I will make it available right now. And in the envelope, there will be a card with a link that will allow the recipient, if he or she is not a subscriber, to download any remaining shows for the year. That way, say you buy it this week, you'll be able to download the remaining shows and have them all fit in your USB drive. You can also give the gift of truth by purchasing a subscription for three, six, nine months, or one or two years. Go to the Veritas store for more information. And the 2012 Inside Veritas special is coming up soon. Guess on what date? Friday, December 21st, 2012. So go to the member section and click on the Inside Veritas link so you can submit your question in writing. Or if you have a decent microphone, you can record it and send the audio file to us and we'll play it on the air. Don't delay. The deadline is Sunday, December the 16th, 2012. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. And now, let's go to tonight's interview. This is Walter Cruttenden, and you are listening to Veritas. Robert Schock has a PhD in geology and geophysics from Yale University and has been working in Egypt focusing on the Great Sphinx and Great Pyramid since 1990. He is a tenured full-time faculty member of the College of General Studies of Boston University, where he has taught a variety of science courses since 1984. Based on his geological studies, Professor Schock has determined that the Sphinx's origins go back to pre-dynastic times, thousands of years older than previously thought. In recent years, Dr. Schock has expanded his research to encompass pyramids and associated structures around the world. He is the author of many books, including the latest, Forgotten Civilization, The Role of Solar Outbursts in Our Past and Future. And to learn more about Professor Robert Schock and his work, visit his website at robertschock.com, which is also linked on ours. And directly from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm honored, privileged to welcome for the first time on Veritas, Professor Robert Schock. Hello, Professor. How are you? Very good. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Well, I met you and your lovely wife, Katie, in October of 2011. I was at the uh, CPAC with uh, Walter Cruttenden in, in Sedona. And I have to say, when I watched your, your presentation, I was very impressed. But also I thought, why didn't I have a professor as open-minded as you are? What makes you different, professor, between you and the regular professors that are your peers? Well, uh, maybe you just summarized it. I would say <laughs> my goodness. But I think more than that, so many people in academia and so many people in life generally, they have impressed upon them at a very early age a certain worldview, a certain paradigm. And it's very hard for people to break with the paradigm that they um feel comfortable with, that they grew up with, whether it's growing up academically, whether it's growing up in life more generally. And uh, I, I believe that most people don't realize how strong 
the paradigms, the worldviews, the outlooks people have and that they carry with them at a very deep, I'll call it sort of subconscious or very deep level, how much that affects um, their lives, their research, their outlook. So, and this is actually something I talk about in Forgotten Civilization to a certain extent, how important paradigms are and how I would say detrimental they are in some cases to really discovering the true nature of reality, the truth behind, for instance, ancient civilizations. Uh, and somehow I've, at least I tried to um, get away from standard paradigms and question them. Last week, I was having dinner with Robert Bouval and uh, Dr. Paul Laviolette in this, on the same table, and uh, we were discussing your work, and you, by the way, mentioned them on, on this uh, latest book as well. But when I watched that presentation about Easter Island, the, the Moai, which are the gigant, gigantic Stoneheads, and the Rongorongo script, I, I had to ask you, because I've never seen pictures where you actually see the bodies uncovered. And that's when I said I need to have Professor Shock here. When did the uncovering of the bodies happen? Oh, for, for the Moai? Yes, for the Moai. Well, actually, some of the Moai still stand on Ahus, and you can see the bodies on them. The other ones, the ones that you're thinking of, and I just got back from Easter Island, the ones you're thinking of, I believe, are the Moai around the quarry area, around the crater where they were carved. And many of those are covered in sediment up to their necks, up to their chins. And the first ones, people don't seem to realize that this, the, uh, some of those moai were excavated in the early 20th century. Uh, Catherine Rutledge, who was working at Easter Island about 100 years ago, just almost 100 years ago, she did exploration there. She excavated uh, a moai that had been buried up to its chin, and she revealed, as subsequent excavations have revealed, that these moai, whenever they're excavated, they have bodies, but they don't have legs. So they have essentially torsos, they have the arms, and they go down to essentially just below the navel area, the belt area, and they don't seem to have legs, with one exception. So let me mention two things. One, Thor Heyerdahl, the famous Thor Heyerdahl also worked in the Easter Island in the middle 20th century. He excavated a freestanding moai, excavated um, maybe five meters or so of sediment from it, found that there was a full torso, but again, no legs. He also excavated a very strange moai that is different from all the others, which has legs, but it's kneeling. It's a kneeling moai, very South American looking, and is almost unique. Fragments of similar moai have been found, small moai, that may be of the same style, kneeling. But other than the kneeling moai, they're just torsos, heads, and arms, and belts. Were the bodies buried on purpose, or did they get buried with the passing of time, wind, and sand? Everyone that I've seen and been able to study was buried uh, with time, as you say. There's no indication to me that they were buried purposefully. I want to mention that in just the last couple of years, a couple more Moai have been excavated. Same situation. They found that they have torsos, they have belts, they have arms, but no legs. And these latest excavations have confirmed that 
these moai apparently were erected vertically, you know, standing up, and, and they were buried by the elements, by, uh, you know, sediment filling up slowly, gradually around them, which has major implications from a geological point of view, as far as I'm concerned. You don't get sediment like that building up slowly and gradually over numerous meters, you know, five meters, 16 feet or more. You, that doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen over a short period of time. That takes centuries and millennia, typically, to build up that type of sediment. Some people have suggested that perhaps they dug holes and stuck them in the holes. If that were the case, you would be able to see that the way the stratigraphy would fall. You would be able to see that they had dug a hole and put it in it. So that seems not to be the case. Other people have suggested that maybe these moai were covered with sediment very quickly, even catastrophically from a tsunami or from landslides, that type of thing. But that doesn't work either. Geologically, you would be able to tell that the sediment came from a catastrophic event like that. And also, if you think about logically, these tall vertical moai, at least some of them, are, if not some of them, probably all of them, if it had been landslides and tsunamis that accounted for it, they would have been knocked down. And a number of them still stand vertically. And where, when were these statues made and how? Do, have you come to any conclusions on that? Uh, that's one of the big questions. And that ties in with what we were just talking about. If some of these statues were naturally buried in sediment, over a prolonged period of time, the amount of sediment, again, say four to six meters, somewhere in that range, that is not insignificant. And that would take a very long time geologically. I'm thinking in terms of thousands of years. I suggest fairly, you know, radically, if you would, but I think we have evidence for it, that there is the possibility that Easter Island and inhabitation of Easter Island goes back thousands and thousands of years, perhaps even to the end of the last ice age, which dates to about 9,000 to 10,000 years ago. And we have other evidence of sophisticated culture at the end of the last ice age. And this ties in with my whole theory about what ended the last ice age. And you mentioned the Rongo Rongo, how that would tie in. But, and we can get to that. But as far as the Moai are concerned, the very fact that some of them are covered with sediment that seems to have collected slowly indicates great age. There's other aspects to the Moai, too. There seem to be different styles of Moai. There are different materials that the Moai are carved from. I believe that the earliest Moai, the oldest Moai, are actually carved from basalt. Well, we have some basalt moai, they're quite rare, and they, I believe, for various reasons, are the earliest known moai. These moai carved from basalt may have actually come from quarries that are now on the coast of Easter Island, but have been inundated, have been covered with water, covered by rising sea levels since the end of the last ice age. And if that's the case, that these moai were carved from quarries that are now underwater, again, that would indicate that they're of great antiquity, that they would date back to before 
sea level rises at the end of the last ice age. Also, the moai that have been found, and a, perhaps the most famous one, is at the British Museum. <coughs> Excuse me. Is in the British Museum. It was found in a context where it was clearly being reused on Easter Island. Another moai that's made out of basalt was uh, found under other moai, was found under what's known as an ahu, a platform where other moai are standing. It was found at a very deep stratigraphic level. Again, this would indicate great antiquity. There's another basalt moai that has been reused, reincorporated into one of the platforms where other moai, later moai, are sitting on top of it. So I, I think we can start to figure out which are the earlier moai, which are the later moai. The later moai, what I consider the later moai, are not carved out of basalt. They're carved out of a softer volcanic rock, basically a volcanic tuff is what I would call a tufta or tough stone. And it's easier to work. It's softer, essentially. It erodes more quickly. And what I see them doing, among other things, is trending toward making bigger moais, but out of softer, more easily worked rock as time progressed. So I think we can figure out stratigraphy. We can figure out chronology for the moai. But this is going to take more work. Of course. And when I look at a map in an island that is so far from the nearest piece of land, what, what is it, 2,000 kilometers, how did the builders obtain the knowledge? Who were they in contact with, in your opinion? Oh, well, that's a very good question, too. So I, to put the traditional view forward, I'll put it that way, the traditional view is that Easter Island, Easter Island was colonized by essentially Polynesian from the west, from the west of the island, you know, that is uh, the furthest most point, the easternmost point of essentially Polynesia. So they were migrating from the west toward the east. They got as far as Easter Island and then colonized Easter Island. And the conventional archaeologists tend to say this happened no later than maybe 1,500 years ago. I don't think that's the case at all. As we were talking about the Moai, I believe that there's, the Moai go back earlier, at least some of the Moai. I think that the people go back earlier. When you listen and read the legends of East Round, the, the indigenous legends, the indigenous mythology, and also I think when you look at stylistic aspects of East Round architecture and carvings, that type of thing, what you find is that there's more than one connection to Easter Island. I think there are Polynesian connections to the West, and there's also South American connections to the East. And people like Thor Heyerdahl suggested that perhaps South Americans also got to Easter Island and colonized Easter Island, as well as potentially Polynesians. And you, I believe you find cultural attributes that would indicate connections on both sides, as I said, South America and Polynesia. I speculate, though, that in some cases it may not be people coming to Easter Island, but Easter Island may have been the origin of certain of cultural traits, certain innovations. So it, it could work both ways, especially at the end of the last ice age if Easter Island were colonized. It would have been larger, it could have had been more important strategically 
It's certainly important strategically if you think about people traveling throughout the Pacific. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.